This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. You can join this late-night national town hall forum if you'd like. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And it's it's sad to make this announcement, not because uh, it's somebody that I like, but because it's detrimental to the body politic overall. But Democrats just used the law in order to play politics and interfere in the 2024 presidential election by indicting the leading candidate opposing them. They indicted the Republican Donald Trump today on what everybody from both sides of the aisle has said is a flimsy charge that's dangerously close or past the statute of limitations. And they ran with it after saying we're taking a month off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> throwing a little smoke bomb there to to throw us off the trail. And it worked for many of us, right? We were all like, I guess there's that, you know, my I was thinking of getting on the air tonight and saying, well, they worked so hard trying to figure out a way to indict Trump. They had to take a month off to rest. Well, uh, lamentably, they're taking a, a month off to rest, but they did issue this indictment. And of course, it doesn't mean that he's going to jail and it doesn't mean that he's going to be convicted and it doesn't mean that he's guilty and it doesn't mean a lot of things. But it does mean that the precedent has been created with... Uh, President Trump now being the first uh, former United States president to be charged with a crime. He's also uh, a candidate for the presidency being charged with a crime. This is something that they avoided with Hillary Clinton, uh, with her her server scandal. This is something that is is indeed um, a big deal. And, and it's a big deal in many ways. Not woe is me, cry some more, as somebody told me on Twitter. But no, it's more so about watch out, right? I mean, you always run the risk of getting punched in the face when you punch somebody in the face. See what I mean? When you indict a former president because of your politics and what have you, trust and believe 
that that favor will be repaid to you one day. The Democrats are not going to have power in perpetuity. Eventually, somebody who's got a, a brass set is going to say, you know what? I'm going to indict everybody I can on the other side. Now, do I think that's the right thing? No, I don't necessarily think that's the right thing. You know, I, I often have this argument with the, my Cuban barista in the morning, and uh, he tells me, listen, if Trump gets reelected, it's going to be four years of, of lost time because he's just going to be on, on, on vengeance mode going after the people that wronged him. And I said, no, it's not. I think it, it, there's a lot of regulatory rollbacks and tax cuts and things like that that I think we'll all benefit from. Uh, the economy, I think, will, um, will be jump-started pretty immediately. But th- the idea that everybody can see it, right, this political retribution, the fact that this is a political prosecution, that they're coming after him just to play politics, and this time they've perverted the rule of law to do it. Now, these things have happened before. It happened with the Russia hoax. It happened when they spied on Trump Tower. It happened when they spied on him in the White House. It happened um, on a number of occasions, and not solely with Trump. I think we, you know, we, we've seen these things get out of hand in the past, but never at this level, right? So we've now crossed a new a new uh, line in the sand, if you will. Uh, earlier tonight, I heard a conversation on the radio uh, with um, my friend and mentor, my former boss, uh, Mark Levin, known as the great one. And uh, he wasn't on long, but what he said uh, on his phone call was that America's crossed the Rubicon and we've now entered hard tyranny where the government actually is persecuting those that disagree with them. Now, that's happened before, right? When the Tea Party was was targeted and they didn't allow them to have um, nonprofit organizations, 501c3 status and Lois Lerner, that whole uh, fiasco. But those people weren't former presidents, nor were they current candidates for the presidency that are the leading candidate, right? There's a lot of people running for president. None of them are in the lead except for Donald Trump, at least on the Republican side. So it's it's fascinating to me that that they would go to this level to, to try and stop this man. Uh, because to me, it says they believe that he can win again. As much as people said he couldn't win the first time and he can't win again and he's too toxic, he's this, he's that, he's the other thing. They want the other guy. They want this guy. They want that. If they, if, if they didn't care, they wouldn't care. It wouldn't be a thing. So let that sink in. Look at the lengths that people go to. Now, I know there's people out there listening right now saying, oh, Rich, you've drank the Kool-Aid. You've totally, you're lapping it up. They're going after him because he's the devil incarnate. We've never seen a human being so bad. We've never seen a human being so orange. And that's why we're going to lock this guy up. Come on. Please take your head out of your rear end and think for a second. This is the first time he's being charged with a crime. And there may be more to follow now. Every other grand jury that was on the fence could likely say, oh, if they did it in New York, we could do it here. We might see three, four, five, six more of these come down. So now the, the new story will be, look, even if these things don't stick, we delay, delay, delay. And we just keep saying uh, President Trump has been indicted uh, six times in six different jurisdictions, blah, 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 to try and tarnish him and sully him. Again, using the legal system for their political purpose. This isn't about justice or the rule of law. This is about abandoning the rule of law, embracing lawlessness, and, and trying to use your power to promote your politics. It's shameful. 
It's shameful. We've seen it happen before, and I think we're going to continue to see it happen as things continue to erode in our country, traditions and precedents notwithstanding. Now, on some other news that I just want to touch on briefly, uh, Democrats stormed the Tennessee State Capitol building today demanding gun control. Did anybody call it an insurrection? Nobody. And Trump will likely suck up all the oxygen in the news cycle, so we probably won't hear too much about that. But I'll bring you more on that a little bit later. Plus, uh, Wall Street Journal uh, writer was in Moscow. He's been kidnapped by the Russian government and jailed. They say he's a spy. We're going to get to the bottom of that as well. Um, Plus, six U.S. troops have suffered brain injuries after the attacks from Iran. Or they, you know, they happened in Syria, but they were backed by Iran. So there is a plenty to come tonight. We've got a full lineup of experts. Uh, we've got a constitutional lawyer and former prosecutor in that same office where Alvin Bragg is, Amir Benno. He's coming up next. Then we've got a former spy, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Uh, he's retired from the Army, and he's going to join us and talk about espionage and with that uh, Russia case with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, plus, we're going to talk to Brian Leib about what's going on with Iran and Sarah Parshall Perry, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, weighs in on kids transitioning in school with their teacher's help and teachers hiding it from their parents. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and uh, President Trump, the 45th president of the United States, was indicted today, becoming the first former president to be accused of a crime. Uh, of, of this of this magnitude here. This is a, a big deal, in my opinion. Uh, but with us to make sense of all of this is my good buddy, Amir Benno. Now, you guys know Amir Benno. You've seen him on television. He's a legal analyst. You've seen him on, on Newsmax TV. You've seen him uh, all over the place. And he's a constitutional lawyer, civil rights attorney, and director of litigation for the Equal Protection Project. But he's also a former assistant district attorney in the Manhattan prosecutor's office. Amir Benno, welcome. Thanks, Rich. Great to be here. I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, me too, man. Well, thanks for making the time because I think uh, people have a lot of questions here because of, uh, I guess, some political or legal strategy, if you will, of how there was a smoke bomb yesterday saying, hey, we're taking a month off and, and People thinking, you know, this was supposed to come a week ago, then it didn't come, then it did come, and then what the repercussions are, and I guess what the recourse is. Take it away. Yeah, well, my thought has always been on this, that the grand jury, you know, when you present a case to a grand jury, uh, you know, you submit certain charges to them for their consideration and vote. And sometimes you vote some of those charges out, uh, and then you still have other charges that are open, and you continue the grand jury presentations on those other charges. Uh, that you called it a smoke bomb about you know postponing the grand jury for another month or so. Could it just been that maybe Bragg was thinking about some other charges 
that realized that in the political climate it was going to be impossible probably to get the grand jury on his side for, but that he had already voted out uh, these charges regarding the payments to, uh, to Stormy Daniels and uh, Karen McDougal. And so my guess is that's what happened and then decided they're just going to wrap up the grand jury and, and call it a day and go forward on these charges. Uh, it's really, these are feeble charges. I mean, this case is extremely, extremely thin. And, um, you know, I'm happy to walk you through like a couple bullet points as to why that is. But um, this is this is nothing more than a political hit job. No, for sure. And and for yeah, for the sake of everybody that's listening, um, what we know is that they're they're correlating this to election interference for making these payments to Michael Cohen, who made the payments on his behalf, but then said he didn't, but then said he did. Is that right? Well, not election interference. They're saying they're they're saying he falsified business records, which is a misdemeanor okay. in New York, meaning that he classified in his own internal documents, uh, his accounting system, you know, payments to Michael Cohen that then uh, Michael Cohen then gave to Stormy Daniel and this other woman um, to keep them quiet in the run up to the 2016 election, and. Uh, and there's nothing illegal about doing that, but they're saying that because he classified them as legal expenses uh, as opposed to something else, that that sort of hid the true nature of it, and therefore he falsified his business records. And that's a misdemeanor, uh, which is the lowest level of crime in New York. Uh, and the, the speculation, we don't really know what the indictment is because nobody's seen it yet, uh, right. and it's expected to be revealed in the coming days. But that can be bumped up to a felony if you falsified your business records in order to conceal another crime. The question here, of course, is, what other crime? You know, right. the, uh, there was no federal campaign finance violation. The federal government, the Department of Justice, the FEC looked at it. Even Cyrus Vance, the predecessor to Alvin Bragg, looked at this and decided there was nothing there that they could make hay out of. And Alvin Bragg himself looked at this case and decided that there was nothing there. And only after uh, a book came out from a couple prosecutors who were uh, upset at the fact that Bragg had pulled the plug on the prosecution, and after Donald Trump announced that he was running for president again, somehow did they revive this case and decide to go after him. So in that context, it's quite obvious that the only thing that's changed from all these different prosecuting agencies to now uh, is that Donald Trump is running for president. So this is, like I said, political reprisal. Right. And and two things. A, um, there's no uh, open and shut case that because you list some payments to a lawyer as a legal expense, that that somehow automatically equates to falsifying business records. It, it sounds like a stretch to me. Is there something I'm missing? No, you're not missing anything. In fact, you know, Hillary Clinton paid uh, a law firm called Perkins Coie to hire uh, Fusion GPS to conduct this, to go get that steel dossier back in 2016 uh, for that the run-up to that election. And she classified uh, the payment for that 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 dossier as a legal expense. And the FEC, she, a year ago, she settled with the FEC. She paid a fine. Uh, but there was no crime involved in doing that. This is something that ha- is done. Um, the, the fact here, we're going to have a problem, well, the DA is going to have a problem uh, on a few different grounds, Rich. One is we have a statute of limitations. You can't just prosecute indefinitely for many crimes, and this crime has a five-year statute. 2016 is now almost eight years in the rearview mirror. So how are they going to say that it's timely to bring this case? 
Second, you're not going to be able to show that there was uh, a crime that was committed because in order to commit falsifying business records, whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony, you have to have an intent to defraud. Now, if Donald Trump's intent was to keep his marriage intact so the Melania didn't find out, um, or any other reason other than I want to benefit my my election chances, then it's no there's you don't even have the the width of a crime here. So uh, so I don't know how Alvin Bragg's going to be able to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. Third, uh, Bragg's going to have to rely on Michael Cohen, uh, who is a convicted liar, a convicted felon, a perjurer, and uh, there's no other evidence. Uh, that he can really rely on other than Michael Cohen, because it's going to be Donald Trump's word versus Michael Cohen's word. And no DA should be presenting a case to a grand jury when they know that they're going to have to go in front of a trial jury at some point and have to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they can't, and they know they're going to get an acquittal, they shouldn't be bringing a case. And finally, Trump's going to be able to say, look, Michael Cohen uh, and my lawyers told me that all of this was all done, you know, uh, on the up and up and everything is OK. I don't know how they booked it into our uh, our records. Uh, and therefore, I have this advice of counsel defense. All of these things, uh, Alvin Bragg, uh, I, it's impossible for him to surmount all of these hurdles. And so ultimately what's going to happen is this case is going to get dismissed. Uh, but, you know, I guess the... Um, the punish the process is the punishment here, and sure. uh, you know the ultimate getting a conviction against Donald Trump is not Alvin Bragg's uh, objective. It is trying to disqualify him, to kneecap him uh, in this uh, presidential campaign, uh, and to uh, you know just give in to his uh, Trump derangement syndrome. Now, if I keep my political hat on, I say. Well, if Bragg can do this here, we can do this in Georgia. We can do it in every other jurisdiction where there's there's a, a potential grand jury against Trump. Do you think that be- materializes and becomes a thing where they say, hey, whether we win or lose, just take the shot because all we want is, a you know, in effect to take the swing at him. We don't care if it connects. They could. They could. Um, and, you know, it all turns on what the charges are in these different. Look, we've seen it over and over again, like Russian collusion. There was nothing there. They, were, they spied on him on his campaign when he was a candidate. They brought two impeachments that had absolutely no substance. In fact, one of them was because he was trying to get the prosecutor in the Ukraine to look into Hunter Biden. Here you've got the Democrats who not only pushed a prosecutor to look into Donald Trump, but to secure an indictment against him. How how come Donald Trump is getting uh, got impeached for this, but the Democrats get a pass on this? So um, you know this is this is unfortunately something I think we're in really a new era. We have crossed the Rubicon. These progressive prosecutors, whether it's Alvin Bragg or Kimberly Fox in Chicago. Uh, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, you know, we saw in San Francisco, he's no longer there. Chase Boudin, all these Soros-funded prosecutors, they are destroying any trust and faith in the criminal justice system. And when that erodes, then we don't have a criminal justice system. Then we become a banana republic. We turn into what Mao had. We turn into Stalin. I mean, this is this is this is you know, unfortunately, the direction we're headed in. And. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of Democrats who are cheering this on right now, but they should take a step back and realize that, you know, this is this is far more damaging to our uh, system of of justice uh, and our way of life, the American notions and mm-hmm. ideals of justice. And, uh, you know, the, the short term victory is is meaningless, really. And it could happen to them next. Ever. 
uh, Amir Beno, constitutional lawyer, civil rights attorney. Amir, let everybody know where they can find you. Yep, you can find me on Twitter, at Amir Beno. That's at A-M-E-E-R-B-E-N-N-O. Uh, or you can go to my website. My law firm is uh, BenoLaw.com. You got it, brother. Thanks for being here. More to come straight ahead. Tony Schaefer's up next on Russia. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. Rich Valdez and our telephone number if you want to join the conversation is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, uh, you may have heard the news that a Wall Street Journal uh, journalist uh, has been put in jail by the Russians and they're saying that he's a spy. They're accusing him of espionage. And I said, you know what? I got to call the only spy that I really know. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, president of the London Center for Policy Research and Project Sentinel. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, how are you, sir? Welcome. Hey, it's good to be here and uh, good to talk to you after uh, last time we saw each other. It's been a while. Oh, yes, sir. We had a good time. So tell me about uh, tell me what are your thoughts about this? I, I, I Let me just share with you. When I hear something like yeah. this, I'm of two minds, right? I think. The Russians, the Cubans, uh, for years I've heard that they did this. They'll find any American they can find and just grab him and be like, this guy's a spy, and put him in jail and torture the guy. Not torture, but, you know, it's torture just to be in jail in a foreign country, waiting for the American government to go, that guy's not a spy. He's just a whatever. Let him go. And then they go, oh, you want him? Then give us this, right? And they use it as a bargaining tool. And then there's legitimate cases where people are spies. What say you? So – and uh, I can tell you, uh, since I am a spy, that we don't use journalists. That's one of the things that is prohibited for the very issue we're now seeing. Um, not to say that, I mean, uh, I've been undercover doing things as a freelance journalist uh, and trying to do things to get information. But someone who's sent into a position like that where they're actually doing, you know, real reporting cannot be used. It's, it's, it is obviously something that would cause the problem that we're faced with now. Um, there's a number of other ways, Rich, that we can get the information. There's covers that work very effectively. I obviously can't get into them, but you can do very uh, effective human intelligence espionage operations without pretending to be a media person, especially now today with all the technology that's available. It makes it even uh, more diverse of what options you have. So to your point, I think your instincts are correct. They've grabbed them because it gives them leverage over the United States. And the guy being in the media is going to draw immediate attention, which it has. And I think the Russians right now are doing what the Russians have always done. They do things to be provocative. And one of the things we've talked about on your program several times is that the, the, the Russians are back speaking to us in the language of the Cold War. 
and the Biden administration seems to be unable to actually understand that they're being spoken to uh, in the very bellicose and aggressive language that existed between the Russians, the Soviets back in the 60s and us, and now the Russians under Putin today. And I think that's the, 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 the guy was grabbed because he's going to be a, a, a very important pawn in the larger game of, of the renewed Cold War. Okay, and that's one way of looking at it, and, and that, you know, I had a, a sense of that. But another part of me says, the, the other day, they say, oh, my gosh, you know, your drone flew into our thing, blah, 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 whatever. We, we accidentally hit it. Then you see the video, and they, like, aggressively, you know, check this thing in, in midair. And, and, then, and then this happens, and I'm thinking, to me, this sounds like calculated escalations to, to yeah. just see how many times you can shove somebody before they swing or before you swing. And I feel like there's tensions building everywhere with uh, just everything. I mean, you look at some economic policy that came out yesterday with uh, with China and uh, with their with, with this new um, monetary policy and, mm-hmm. and just all over the place. I, I'm just looking at so many. It seems like everybody is being aggressive towards the United States. And I'm guessing it's because they smell blood in the water. They do. And, and we're not pushing back. And I'm not a neocon. I'm not for us getting, you know, going, having a big showdown. I'm, I'm for the idea that if the bully pushes you, he's going to continue to push you until you do something to stop him. And that's what's going on. And, yeah, to your point, Rich, the whole um, drone thing is, is completely emblematic of what's going on. The way they brought it down, the way they sprayed it with jet fuel first. Uh, that was like a dog raising its leg on a fire hydrant. And I've said that a number of times. That was meant to send a message. And again, the, the Biden folks are just too stupid to understand the language they're being spoken to at. And, and you know, I'm, I'm friends and mentors with a lot of the old Reagan uh, folks, uh, who, who, those who are still alive, and there are a few, Ed Meese and some others. And yeah, uh, they recognized during the Cold War, during the Reagan years, that you cannot uh, while you want to be open to detente, you want to be open to having a, a dialogue. If you are shoved, you shove back, and you make sure that they understand you're shoving back. In the case of the drone, the next thing you know, the, the Pentagon's apologizing. Uh, and the very soft language saying, oh, well, it may have been an accident. It was no accident. And uh, we we sent that drone in. Uh, they turned off the uh, the transponder. They wanted to kind of make it stealthy. And they flew it into a zone. The Russians have said, uh, that is controlled airspace. So our guys sent it in there, and the next thing you know, they're apologetic about it. Uh, there's any number of ways they could have said, look, yes, we're trying to check on you because we don't trust you, and, and next time we do this, we're, we're going to send a drone in with two F-15s escorting. And that would have been, I think, an adequate response. Same thing with nuclear weapons being moved into uh, Belarus. Uh, okay, Mr. Putin, you're moving these weapon systems into Belarus. We're going to put some weapons into Poland. Uh, not, we don't want to be starting a war, but we're not going to let you get away from being, being provocative. And so that's what we see here, Rich, is this, to your point, this escalation of, of bullying. And again, until the Biden administration does something, they're going to continue to be, uh, to be bullied. Yeah. You know, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Tony Schaefer, this stuff, um, 
I don't know. It, it doesn't encourage me, these conversations. <laughs> I hate it when I think the worst and you're like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, it is. It, I mean, it's, yeah, it's I, that's what you talk. It's what you call me. It's like, yeah, you, you want to hear the truth, not, uh, not, not happy talk, you know, so. Yeah, but it, it, it sucks. And it, it sucks for this guy, Gershkovich. And I want to continue with that conversation. So let me sure. just remind everybody who we're on with uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Schaefer, president of the London Center for Policy and uh, in charge of Project Sentinel there. And uh, don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, 833-482-5337. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. targeting of American citizens by the Russian government is absolutely, completely unacceptable. And we condemn Mr. Gershkovich's detention, and we do so in the strongest terms. We also condemn the Russian government's continued targeting and repression of journalists. All right, that is uh, Admiral Kirby, if I'm not mistaken. And um, that wasn't all he said. He had a little bit more. Listen to this. I know of no efforts uh, to to tell other uh, outlets, um, you know, to remove their their journalists uh, from from Moscow. Uh, we understand that that you all have a uh, important job to do, uh, and that uh, and that in doing that job, you all of you are are are, uh, are willing to and, and must uh, take risks. We respect that. All right. So again, uh, that is uh, national security advisor, spokesperson, uh, John Kirby, a friend of our guest, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Tony Schaefer, uh, what, what do you think of this? So they, they kidnapped the one guy and now we tell everybody to go home. Why isn't there a conversation where they kidnap the one guy and then one of us picks up the phone like Biden or Kirby or whomever and says, hey, Vlad, hey, Moscow, do it again and see what happens. Why doesn't that happen? The consequence issue has to be on the table, absolutely. And that's an excellent question, Rich. Uh, what John Kirby basically said there is, uh, hey, we're not coming for you. Good and luck. we're scared. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, uh, yeah, thanks for your work. You do a great job, but we're not helping you. And that's that's got to be demoralizing, especially to that group. I mean, look, uh, we all recognize – uh, and, and you and I both deal with a lot of members of the media every day. Uh, there are folks out there, journalists, who are truly doing a spectacular job, and they should be supported. And I, I suspect this guy in Moscow was doing a, a legitimate job of being a journalist. And to have your own, uh, the leadership of your own country say, ah, geez, that's a, it's, it really sucks to be a reporter. Too bad for you. It's, it's, it's not a good response. It should be, have been John saying, uh, well, we don't know what our response is going to be. Uh, the Russians need to expect some consequence for their bad behavior. This is not acceptable. We will defend the journalists, the rights of journalists to do their job. And there's there's no there's no vagueness about our uh, willingness to support uh, the free flow of information. That should have been the message. And, and any rational uh, administration who actually cared about uh, what's going on regarding the truth about Putin about being able to report on it accurately would be would be backing up journalists 
not basically saying uh, good luck with whatever you do. We're, we're out. And I'm, I'm very disappointed. And I know John, uh, I've worked with him before, uh, Admiral Kirby, and uh, I'm very disappointed. I don't know if he was told to say that or if he came up with it on his own. Either way, it's not acceptable behavior from this administration regarding uh, the, the need to protect journalists who do their job overseas. And again, the journalist in question is Wall Street Journal reporter Evan right. Gerskovich. And and again, I just, you know, forgive my oversimplification of things. I do it for the sake of the audience and anybody that, you know, is just in and, and, and can't make sense of it like I can. And I, I get it. I can read between the lines, Colonel. But I, I, I really find it unacceptable that we're the big guy on the block. We're that guy with all the muscles. And, and then you have these other guys that are, you know, in shape and they push people around, but then they push you around and then you, you put your tail between your legs and you run away and you say things like this. To me, that's an incredible, if I were Putin or those guys, I would play Kirby on loop and say, ha, this is how they respond to us taking their journalists off the street. This is what they do. This is how they responded to when we, the equivalent of a shoulder check in a high school hallway uh, with the drone. I mean, it's one after the other where they just push us around and we're like, well, you know, we're not going to help you. Well, you know, it seems like it's one excuse after another, one capitulation after another, weakness upon weakness upon weakness. And it's frustrating to me. But again, you were in this world. I've never been to Russia. You know, I haven't traveled most of the world. You have. When when the United States portrays this level of weakness, uh, I can't foresee anything good happening. Can you? No. And that's the point is that I don't believe that the United States should be a bully either. It's not our job to try to cajole people or countries to do things that are not in their right. interest. But at the same time, don't antagonize us or our interests, too. We have allies. We have uh, interests. We have business re- relationships. We, for better or for worse, do ensure kind of the free commerce of the planet. Uh, I know uh, at one point I was on a, the John Stossel show with uh, – with uh, Rand Paul when, when, I mean, I'm sorry, Ron Paul, when his dad was running for president Mm -hmm. and his, the debate point was, well, you know, I don't know why we, he said this, we're the ones who, who basically pay to make sure that the sea lanes are protected. Well, if we don't do it, someone else will, and we, we we may not like it. So we do it as conservative, kind of a a service of common concern. And that brings me to the point of China. China is very much working with Russia to try to devalue United States, the monetary system, our dollar. Right. Uh, and they actually said that over the last couple of days, Brazil has come up and said, yeah, we're going to, we're not going to use the U S dollar anymore. Uh, Russia is trying to work with China so that the, 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 the energy needs of China can be met via Russia and then try to find other ways to undermine our, our dollar being the petrodollar or the dollar, the reserve currency of the world. And these things are all happening to your point because we're not pushing back on any, and we're, we're seen as very weak. And the more weakness that's observed by countries like Brazil, who actually do have a huge economy that we should be working with, uh, say, eh, well, we're not, we don't trust the Americans. And actually, uh, the Chinese said about Guyana, you know, the vice president visited Guyana a few days ago. And when, when Z was asked about uh, what that meant, he said, well, you know, they promised a lot of currency that's not worth anything, again, echoing that our dollar is not going to be worth anything if, if we continue to show weakness. And it's just that that's a simple fact. The more weakness we show, the more other countries besides Russia uh, start taking note and thinking, well, maybe we should be siding with the bad guys. And that's what the danger is at this point. Yeah. You know, the head of state of Kenya also made a similar comment about the dollar saying, you know, pretty soon it won't be worth anything. 
And he said right. it with a laugh and a smirk and a smile. And uh, obviously their biggest trading partner is China, so they'll do what they're told. But not good, not good at all. S- stick around, Colonel. Uh, there's more I want to discuss with you. we got to take a quick pause. Our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. Our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. media companies actually amplify conservative voices. They do less to censor those voices. And everyone here should be alarmed when that amplification pushes out false and dangerous narratives. False narratives such as January 6th being a deep state effort. False narratives such as COVID vaccines somehow do harm. False narratives suggesting that President Trump won the election. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, president of the London Institute for Policy Research. Uh, I, I want to I get your take on this uh, cut. And again, this uh, audio clip we just heard is uh, Representative Stacey Plaskett from the Virgin Islands, a Democrat representing the Virgin Islands. And she was at a Capitol Hill hearing yesterday talking about social media. And I wanted to talk about that because we talked about how the media is so intertwined and we're talking about uh, this young man, Gerskovich. Uh, But social media has been called into question and there was these hearings last week or there were these hearings last week with respect to TikTok. So I figured put it all together and start with uh, over here because she mentioned a few things here saying that there are things that could be false narratives like COVID vaccines doing harm and et cetera, Trump winning and... um, January 6th being a deep state effort. And to me, these, in my opinion, seem to be things that could be viewed as subjective to certain people. And I don't know that I want the government in charge of policing the truth. Do you? That's completely correct. And yeah, look, uh, people have the opinion and they have that right to the opinion that President Trump won and that there was cheating. That's that is their belief. Uh, there are those who also believe uh, on the other side that global warming is real, and it's not. Look, I've got a degree in environmental studies. I'm sorry. CO2 is a plant food. So I could go through chapter and verse and show you how the left has completely embraced a false narrative where they've uh, taken and politicized science. But that's that's their opinion. You know, I'm just saying it's like they can have their opinion. Uh, COVID is not an opinion. COVID was shown to uh, the, the vaccines have, you know, become uh, – known to have caused myocarditis and other side effects. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a conspiracy. Uh, is the World Economic Forum and the idea that somehow there's this effort to uh, remove uh, boundaries and, and uh, you know, all these borders of the world. No, they want to do that. They want to have uh, uh, essentially feudal mercantilism all over the planet where there's just one government and everything else. That's not a, that's not a conspiracy. So what she says are conspiracies or disinformation is simply – Opinion, fact, or uh, items of of uh, policy that she doesn't like, and that's the danger of giving the government any control of "quote unquote" disinformation. Rich, I don't see disinformation. I just see information. I see information that goes across a wide spectrum of being false, uh, something that may be true or false because you don't know enough about the facts. Maybe opinion, and the opinions don't have to be fact. They can be feelings, and as a matter of fact. On that point, the the left 
hacks off emotion more than they do facts. I've been watching a number of events today where you mm-hmm. saw people storming a Capitol uh, for gun control, trying to Tennessee. say, oh, you know, that, yeah. And so it's like, really? I think the very fact that you're storming the Capitol uh, is indicative of the fact that people need to be able to protect themselves. Just saying. It's kind of a self-own, if you will. But it's all about emotion. So so it's really one of the situations where, yeah, she's she's completely uh, wrong. And what she's saying is, is uh, uh, in, in its purest form, Marxist uh, Soviet uh, uh, opinion of, of how information should be controlled. And she should be ashamed of herself. Colonel, uh, in the moment we have uh, remaining, yeah. let everybody know um, about the projects you're working on and how they could find you and follow that work. So LondonCenter.org is our policy uh, work. Uh, we do a lot of things, everything from supporting the Abraham Accords to uh, poly, poly, uh, global energy policy, which actually helps the, the American people and actually is very uh, focused on facts, not fiction. And then Project Sentinel, which is a project focused on working to reestablish constitutional governance. That is to say that we believe that uh, both parties have drifted away from the founding fathers' vision of the uh, United States. We want to try to return it to that vision. So that's, that's what we're doing. All right, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, you're still my favorite spy. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Brian Live's going to join us, and we're going to discuss the Iranian threat don't go anywhere. Again, our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there and good evening. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And um, man, a lot of news today, just too much, (laughs) more than usual, right? And uh, some days you're like scrounging around looking for, for for the big story of the day and it's the same story as it was the day before, but not so much today. Today, there's a lot on, on our plate and uh, we, we've talked about um, you know, everything that happened domestically here with the indictment of uh, former President Donald Trump, a very flimsy, fake, phony fraud indictment, in my opinion, uh, as well as, you know, some of the the repercussions that we can expect uh, from that, as well as what's going on with this journalist that was kidnapped and... Uh, just the turmoil, right? I mean, just a lot of turmoil globally. And uh, not the least of which is what we've seen over the last week with Iran uh, backing these attacks in Syria and um, rockets hitting bases. I mean, just it's so many. I mean, there's an article I saw with, you know, six uh, servicemen, United States servicemen that were were injured. And uh, we'll get to that maybe in the next segment. Uh, But I want to break down this Iran stuff because these Iran-backed fighters, you know, uh, they fired a a series of missiles at a U.S. base and 
they killed the, the United States, fired back, killing 11 of their militants in a strike. And, and it's a back and forth. And I think this only gets worse, right? I don't know that it gets better. I don't know if this is just a dust up. So I said, let's bring in my buddy, Brian Leib. Uh, he's the former executive director of uh, Iranian Americans for Liberty. And he's with us now. Brian Leib, welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Rich. Good evening. How are you? I'm all right, brother. A little, uh, little disconcerted over all of the ugly and negative headlines I'm seeing today. Uh, but, you know, the show must go on. Let's, let's talk about this. I know that you uh, keep your ear to the ground, your finger on the pulse. You know what's going on. What do you make of, of what's happening here? Why is Iran, is Iran doing what Iran always does, or is, is their intention uh, somehow different? Well, their intentions have been the exact same ever since they took power in 1979. And, Rich, I don't think, you know, they've changed the, their mantra or their mentality at all. The biggest thing that's changed over the last two years now with the Biden presidency is that the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, went from really being on the ropes financially and also diplomatically around the world uh, to now they have more money coming in every month from their uh, oil sales to Beijing um, than ever before, something to the tune of around a billion dollars a month of proceeds. Uh, and also, they've received so much foreign investment from uh, our adversaries like China, who agreed to invest $400 billion over the next 25 years into the Islamic Republic uh, in 2020. They struck that deal three months after Biden took office. So, yeah, what you're seeing is the same old Islamic Republic of Iran, um, but now they're catching up to a lot of the other world powers, both financially diplomatically, and now they are also trying to catch up from a military standpoint. And as I know you know, they've been supplying their drones to Russia uh, for, I mean, the, back, the last, last year or so during this Russia-Ukraine war. And now Russia is uh, go going to be rewarding them by delivering uh, Su-35 fourth-generation fighter jets to the Iranian Air Force. Now, a lot of people might not know this, but the Iranian Air Force is very old. I mean, they're they're still using you know fighter jets from the 70s and 80s. Um, and so if, if they're able to improve their operational capacity like this, uh, it's just gonna continue to spell, I think, more danger uh, for for the United States and, and for any of our any of our allies that are out there. I mean, if we even still have any allies left uh, after what Biden's done on the world stage. Now, what can you tell us about the 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 contractor that was killed and the five mm -hmm. uh, service members that were injured? What was the, the purpose? I, I know their overall purpose is, you know, death to America, the big Satan, you know, death to Israel, the little Satan. Uh, obviously, they, they, they hate our guts. But what was the specific gripe in, in hitting this particular base? I, I don't think there was anything specific. I think they saw an opportunity uh, to target U.S. assets in Syria, and they, one, have the resources to do it, and two, uh, they have the support from a lot of their allies. So they're, you know, when, when, when you have China and Russia and Turkey uh, and North Korea and a lot of other countries that are supporting, you know, your efforts, 
uh, you're going to start flexing uh, onto onto the world. And the Islamic Republic of Iran um, loves to go after the United States of America, whether that's here domestically in America or whether that's throughout the world. And these attacks in, in Syria led to, as you mentioned, one U.S. contractor uh, dead. Uh, six U.S. troops have now been diagnosed with traumatic brain injuries following these attacks. And, you know, what really, you know, makes me scratch my head and really also gets me fired up uh, was a comment that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin made just a couple days ago when he publicly stated that the IRGC and IRGC proxies have attacked U.S. interests and assets over 83 times, Rich, since 2021. We've retaliated, Rich, four times. Wow. Four times. They've hit us over 80 times, and we've retaliated four times. So, you know, listen, I, I, I don't think we should be surprised, right, as we've talked about on this program before, you know, when we project weakness and we don't respond back to these types of horrible situations with 10 times the force, um, you know, terrorists are going to keep coming and coming harder than ever before. And, you know, I, I was actually at Mar-a-Lago this morning and I spoke to uh, a group and we were talking about how, you know, President Biden's America last policy, it, it's really not just destroying our nation, you know, here domestically, you know, whether that's the, the, the fentanyl coming over our southern border, terrorists coming through our southern border, so many things that are happening wrong in this country. Um, but his America last policy is just crushing America on the world stage. And it's now, as, as we just talked about, it's leading to more Americans dead, more Americans injured. And um, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to keep hitting us. And, and if we're if we're going to let them hit us 83 times and only retaliate four times, you better believe they're going to keep coming. All right, folks, we're on with Brian Leib, former executive director at Iranian Americans for Liberty. You see him on Newsmax TV. You hear him on this program. And we're going to continue our conversation with him straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. There were an additional six U.S. service members that have subsequently been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury uh, as a result of the Iranian back attacks. That's a General Pat Ryder, uh, Pentagon spokesperson, discussing uh, these uh, six service members that have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injuries. If you know anything about me in this program, I I, uh, I know a lot about traumatic brain injuries. I went through uh, one that my dad had, and it was you, you never know about that until you go through it. It's very severe, and a lot of cops and and soldiers go through that. And this is um, troubling, troubling to say the least. Uh, Brian Leib is our guest, former executive director of Iranian Americans for Liberty. Brian Leib. Let's uh, talk a little bit about this, because I think this is a um, an important thing where not only one person was killed, 
uh, the American contractor, but you've got these other five that are sick, uh, five that have been injured with this uh, traumatic brain injury. And, and, and it seems to me that this is the, you know, we're hearing of it. You, you mentioned earlier, we've retaliated four times out of, I don't know, 81 or 84 times that we've been uh, hit by Iran. And yes, we are projecting weakness, but I, I can't help but wonder. And I often say, who cares why it's happening? But I really do care. Why are we projecting such weakness? Well, let me let me say this, Rich. I think for the first time, really, in 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 a long time, you and I see the American people so tuned into what's happening abroad, uh, and the American people really interested in foreign policy because they see. I think for the first time in many many years that when we're projecting weakness at every level of our government, how that ultimately is going to uh, put Americans at danger overseas, but also here in the United States of America as well. Um, and I mean, we're seeing, you know, the, the repercussions of, of this weakness all across, uh, all across the diplomatic stage. And I mean, when you have, listen, when you have China of all countries brokering a normalization agreement between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Islamic Republic of Iran, and no one knew it was coming, and it came out of left field. I mean, that tells, I think, even the American people that might not know too much about foreign policy, uh, when they see something like that happening, when they see America giving up our leadership position on the world stage, they're seeing China and Russia and the Islamic Republic of Iran and many others they're taking our seat, and and, um, and I, I'm really, in a way, kind of happy that the American people are, are finally starting to see uh, how important it is uh, to have uh, a strong foreign policy. And, and, Rich, that's something that our former president, Donald Trump, knew very well. He knew that projecting strength onto the world led to peace. Um, and if I could just briefly, Rich, if it's okay with you, could I briefly sure. talk about this this indictment that happened today? Yeah, yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that, being that that's the uh, the elephant in the room. It's the biggest story of the night. I mean, it's it's what a dark moment, right, for 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 our for our republic. And you know, whatever one whatever one American thinks about Donald Trump, I mean, I happen to like him a lot. I actually endorsed him uh, just last week in a Newsmax op-ed that he shared on Truth, and he put out a press release. So. So I know where I stand with Donald Trump. I think he's fantastic. But again, whether whether you like him or not, whether uh, the the audience, your your listeners like him or not, you know, all Americans should be just so appalled by this indictment. I mean, you have a rogue district attorney trying to take a misdemeanor claim that is actually outside of the statute of limitations and attempting to parlay this into some type of a felony. It's unprecedented on every level, and it's deeply flawed. And, I mean, this is just the politicization of our justice system at its worst. And, I mean, put simply, and, and, and the former president said this just in his statement, this is political persecution and election interference of the worst kind. I mean, this is what dictatorships do um, to, their, to their political opponents. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised, though, Rich. I mean, we see President Trump's poll numbers. Fox News poll has him up from 43 percent last month down to 54 percent. He's climbing in every major poll month after month. He's putting out substantial policy papers and videos every week. 
and his support is growing. He just had a massive rally in Texas, and there's more to come. So I, I guess with all of that said, we shouldn't be surprised that Democrats are doing this again. I mean, we do know they, they impeached him twice, and they impeached him both times, Rich, knowing that it would not get past the Senate, but they did it anyway. They did it because it was political theater. And, you know, it's it's so ironic, Rich. You know, Biden and Pelosi and the Democrats, they talk about unity and they talk about taking the temperature down. When have they ever done a damn thing to take the temperature down in this country right now? And this latest, this rogue, just silly indictment of the former president is just another example of how they're more interested, in my opinion, of just trying to divide the American people than actually fixing the, the, the problems that we have in this country right now. Dark day for yeah. our country. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Brian Leib. And, and you know what's interesting uh, to me, and I, I really do, I believe, uh, and I'm not switching to a different topic, but I'm going to make a correlation, that an armed society is a polite society. And, and the reason why is because when everybody's armed, it's that peace through strength thing, right? Everybody's got one, so don't start any. When you do something like what you did to Trump today, you just started something that is inevitably going to come back at you. Some Republican somewhere is going to get possessed one day and say, you know what, I'm coming after these people politically. And, and we're, we're going to see it. We may not see it with McCarthy and we may not see it in this Congress, but it's going to happen. And, and I feel like how desperate does one have to be or how filled with vitriol does one have to be to make such a decision knowing that this what you're sending out is going to come back at you? Maybe they just don't care at the end of the day. They maybe maybe they, they're just not interested in. And, you know, what's going to happen a year or two years from now? And they're they're just so, so focused on on trying to do whatever they can um, to take this former president down. And, and, and it's just listen, it, it's so interesting. Right. I say that facetiously. It's so interesting that all of this is happening when his support is at record levels right now. I mean, he announced in November and month after month after month now his numbers, his poll numbers keep getting higher and higher and higher. Um, and he's really starting to once again resonate, not just with Republican primary voters, in my opinion, but also with independents and Democrats that voted for him the first time around. So, you know, I guess I shouldn't be I'm not surprised, you know, that this is what they're doing. And and I don't think I mean, back to your question, Rich, I don't think they really care. I, I, I really don't think they care you know, what is on the back end of this and how this is going to come back uh, to, to bite them. I think that they are just so laser focused on this, on, on doing anything they can to, you know, get Trump. I mean, how many how many videos have you and I've seen? I mean, Rashida Tlaib is a perfect example of victory night in uh, in Michigan with her kids, her 10 year old kids next to her. She starts cursing about how she's going to D.C. and she's going to impeach that mother. Oh, after. yeah, that's she's right. Talking about Trump. <laughs> you know, how how many Democrats have run on this platform? Letitia James, the, the, the attorney general in New York, same platform. She ran on, I'm going to fight every single day to impeach Trump. So, you know, this is what they want to do. And they're more focused on going after a guy that's put 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 America first and than actually doing things to, to take criminals off the streets and for actions to have consequences. I mean, what, it's really, really, really sad what's happening. But you know what? 
I think that this is going to galvanize not just Republican voters, Rich, but I think it's going to galvanize Americans as a whole uh, to say, not to say, but but they're, I think they see what's happening. And, and, and they see that it's one thing after another coming after President Trump. Um, and um, I mean, I, I listen, I'm, I'm predicting a, a landslide uh, primary victory for him next year. Uh, and I think that's going to go right into the general as well. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I think Trump's in the position to win. Uh, totally. Uh, you know, yep. as they say in this business, it's his to lose. And uh, I think he's he's right where he needs to be. He came in early and he's swinging really hard. Uh, and the fact that there's this much opposition uh, is just laughable. But Brian Lyme, let everybody know uh, your website and how they could follow you very quickly. Sure. Brian com and all the social media platforms on there. Rich, thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you for your insight and for being on with us. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. 833-4-VALDEZ is our phone number. Straight ahead, we're going to talk about how teachers are hiding gender transitions in the classroom from the parents of these kids. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and a few things I want to talk about, right? There's a few headlines uh, that are interesting. Listen to this one. Parents are fed up with public schools secretly transitioning children. Then we've got this other one. Where did it go? About West Virginia being the uh, latest state to ban sex change operations for minors. So interesting to see how uh, the tide might be turning Whereas I think this conversation, when it started, people were saying, no, 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 you're taking it out of context. This isn't right. We're not being fair to people. Whereas it seems like this is a parents' rights issue, and it's finally getting its, uh, its due in uh, the court of public opinion. So I want to get to the bottom of this because the piece was authored by Sarah Partial Perry, um, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and uh, she was with the Civil Rights um, I always get that wrong. She was a civil rights division at the United States Department of Education. Sarah Partial Perry, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rich. Yeah, forgive me for butchering that title on your intro, uh, but I always like to throw that in there so people understand the breadth of your experience uh, because it's not solely in the, in the legal world, but also in the world of education and, and, and civil rights as well, which I think this is really one of those issues. And, and in my opinion, it's the parents that are, losing their civil right of being a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, very interestingly for me, this has been sort of the culmination of a lot of work on a lot of different fronts. I'm the mother of three school age kids. So I have been very passionately involved in their education since they were very young. And two of my children have uh, specialized education programs, one an IEP and one a 504 plan. So I've been involved in education and civil rights for a very long time. But Never did I think I would be faced with sort of a scenario in American public education where parents like myself would feel disenfranchised from our own rights to parent our children. And what we've discovered based on an extensive amount of research is that 
Roughly 3.2 million American school kids are in school districts and in school programs that are subject to policies specifically directing teachers and administrators not to include parents in discussions on gender identity with their own children. And what we find that to be is really an unconscionable sort of exorcism of parents out of their variability to be involved in their kids' lives, and particularly so on something as impactful as their own children's mental health. You know, um, I, I want to get into the piece you wrote, but I want to just get your, your take on something because I feel like there's been a shift, and maybe it's me, it's my own naivete, maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but I feel like there was once a time where where parents were expected to to be involved in their children's education, and it was educators that were complaining, saying, hey, look, these parents don't care, and, and they're not involved enough, and we need more parental involvement. And, and some schools implemented parent liaisons, and they did all sorts of things to get parents involved, and I feel like that was just yesterday. But yet now yeah. today, it's, it, it seems like they're like, let's get the parents out of the classroom. Let's get the parents out of the discussion on everything. I mean, literally everything, yeah. you name it, even when it's not gender related. Uh, you, even my own kid, I have one kid that's in high school, one that's in college. And uh, my daughter that's in high school, I remember, you know, she, she came and she told me she'd get in trouble in school for something. And, and then the school called and told me about it. And their version was so much more... Um, watered down than her version. <laughs> and, yeah. and, 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 and I thought, and it wasn't because they didn't know it's because they didn't want her to get in trouble <laughs> and they didn't want me to, I guess, respond or whatever, uh, you know, more forcefully or whatever, what have you. But it just, it, it, it was interesting to me that it used to be that the teacher would give you the real scoop and your kid would water it down, you know? So if you needed the truth, you'd go, yeah. well, let's find out what really happened. And when did this shift happen? And I'm so blissfully unaware you know, it's interesting. This has really been sort of a long time coming. I, I also am the product of sort of the PTA generation. I was a mm -hmm. product of public school in the Midwest, and my mother ran for the PTA because she didn't like what was coming through my curriculum. That was when we saw social and emotional learning, or what's called SEL. That was sort of the precursor to Common Core, which has been the precursor to critical race and gender theory. And these are all sort of variations on the theme. But back in the 70s, when I was a kid, my mother got involved in public education, and we wanted parents to be actively involved, investors in their children's education. But what's happened now, I think, is that many of us have used the COVID pandemic and what we saw as a widespread attempt to sort of teleteach with many of our kids as an opportunity to go, you know, I really would like to know what's going on in the classroom. And so we were conscious in ways we had never been before of what was actually being taught. That resulted in a blowback. I don't think the teachers unions or the industrialized education complex or the Biden administration were fully prepared for. And when we realized that, among other things, there was this push specifically for critical gender theory in which our children who were six, seven, eight years old were being told that gender was a spectrum, that there were one of anywhere of up to 15 
19 or 20 gender expressions. And these are kids who aren't even aware of their own biology or underlying sexuality, let alone anything like a gender expression. And our math and English scores are suffering for it. Then we see what we saw with the National Association of School Boards in collusion with the Department of Education, classifying American parents as domestic terrorists because we deign to speak out at school board meetings. And what I think encourages me as a parent who, you know, it can get very easily discouraging. I think if we look at the sort of state of American Mm -hmm. education and the way individuals, parents like you and I are being viewed is to go, if nothing else, we know parents have found our voice and we have ultimately gotten to a point where we are too big to ignore. As a result of that, we're seeing things on Capitol Hill like a parent's bill of rights. And we're seeing bills in the states that entrench these notions of parents being the ultimate authority on what their children learn in school and what medical procedures they're subjected to. That is an encouragement for me. I got to tell you, thank God for COVID kind of uh, blowing the lid off of what was going on in schools. Uh, So many parents, you're right, just had no clue of what was actually going on. And and even me, and I try to be, you know, involved. I was a school board member for nine years, uh, not in my kid's district, though. uh, But, uh, you know, I try to stay up to speed. And I remember one day telling my kid, are you doing class from your bed? Like, go to the kitchen table or something. And she was like, no. And I was like, you're in your pajamas. Get dressed. You know, like, take it seriously. Yeah. And she tells me, the teacher's in her pajamas. And I had no words. <laughs> I was like, I yeah. don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> All I said was, if she jumped off a bridge, would you jump with her too? <laughs> and, and, and she just smirked and, you know, put on a shirt, you know, that was a little more appropriate. Left her pajama bottoms on, which is how they go to school now too, uh, honestly. Of course. And, uh, it, it was just so interesting to me. But, yeah, you're right. This whole um, revolution that has turned uh, people that care about their children, a.k.a. parents, into domestic terrorists, uh, it, it all s- spun out of control because they saw what was happening in the classroom via remote learning, which, in my opinion, was a huge failed experiment. Anyway, I yeah. want to continue this conversation, and I want you to walk us through this piece that you wrote because I think it's incredibly important for the parents that are listening and for the grandparents that are listening to coach their children and say, hey, look, I heard this on the radio the other day, and you got to watch out for X, Y, and Z. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. We're on with Sarah Parshall-Perry. Uh, she's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And our telephone number, if you want to uh, chime in on this conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our conversation continues with uh, Sarah Parshall Perry, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, she's written this excellent piece in uh, the Washington Examiner. Parents are fed up with public schools secretly transitioning children. And, and this is something that every now and again rears its ugly head in the media and you hear these stories and then they kind of go away. For a while there was uh, 
a program about somebody's closet. I don't remember whose closet it was, but it was, you know, so-and-so's closet. And the teacher would let the kids go in there and come out a different gender. You know, whatever the kid was, they could come out dressed the other way. And, and this was like, you know, healthy experimentation, as they deemed it. And and, and this is just, and in, in, I, I would lose my head. I would totally lose my mind if that something like that happened. Sarah Partial Perry, uh, let's continue talking about the piece because I know this is happening. And um, what do parents do when it happens? I got to tell you, they are... Thankfully, we're seeing so far flexing their legal muscle, and these are not one-offs. What we've discovered is that there are quite a number of these lawsuits pending, and they're pending from coast to coast. There are federal lawsuits right now that have been appealed to the first, the fourth, the eighth, and the ninth federal appellate circuit. That means that eventually the Supreme Court may be forced with a circuit split between one appellate district and the other to have to actually take this question up and to determine once and for all exactly what the parameters are, what the blueprint is for fundamental parental rights in modern society. They've never been faced with a question of this particular nature on the parental rights issue, but as recently as the year 2000, in a case called Troxel v. Granville, the case did the court did say that parenting parenting rights are the oldest of all of our fundamental rights, and that's because the parent right, the family, actually predates government itself. So it is something that's considered a natural right, one we don't even have to naturally exercise. It is something to which we all have. We are born into it by the very function of the way Western society operates. But we're seeing these parents bring cases more and more on precisely the same claims. And that's a violation of their 14th Amendment right to parent their children as they see fit. When we see these school administrators and these parents um, being X'd out of the equations on things like mental health and pronoun use and bathroom use and what their children wear and what sports team they're allowed to practice on or play on, I can think of no more sort of directly related question to the fundamental nature of parenting than how a child expresses themselves and what their underlying mental health conditions might be. You know, in 2019, the NIH did a study indicating that 58% of those individuals who identified as transgender had comorbid mental health diagnoses. We know that not only is gender dysphoria a mental health diagnosis, according to the DSM, which is sort of the Bible for the mental health community and the psychiatric community. But on top of that, 58% of individuals with gender identity disorder have other mental health diagnoses. We obviously don't know what the manifesto says of this Nashville shooter, but we know that individual identified as transgender. We know that this is a Christian school that was targeted, but we do know that this is an individual who, if she was subject to taking testosterone, would have experienced an increase in suicidality and violence, both of which have been measured in adult adolescent female populations if they are exposed to male hormones. So there are very real medical consequences to these social transitions that these teachers and administrators want to engage in. And our goal as parents is to make sure that parents remember their authority, find their voice, and act before it's too late. 
Wow. Let me tell you, this is, um, and I'm glad you mentioned that these aren't one-off um, incidents uh, because y- you would think that they are. And I remember, I don't know if it was last spring or maybe last summer, uh, where we had some audio of that a mom, I think, recorded on her cell phone of a meeting she was in. And she was, and again, I might get the facts slightly wrong. I don't know if she had a biological son or a biological daughter, but the case was they had transitioned with the teacher. <laughs> and the right. mom didn't know. Right. And she's there and she's there saying, you know, but my little Susie or my little Billy is whatever. And they're saying, excuse me, ma'am, you're going to have to address her by her pronouns or his pronouns. <laughs> and the mom was like, what are you saying? Like, what the bleep is going on here? And it was right. so real because it was raw. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. Like, imagine being in a situation like that where a teacher is telling you that you've got no rights. And the first thing that went through my head was, I don't need the government to tell me that I have a right to be my kid's parent. I am my kid's parent. I, like They were That's born exactly of me, it. right? And when, so when exactly you talk about natural it. rights, uh, yeah, 100%. And, and I think more parents need to know because, like you say in the article, gone are the days of cheerily sending your children off to school and trusting public educators to prepare them for success. Now, instead of... Uh, pedagogy, lamentably, some of them are teaching pedophilia or related things yeah. that are, are unnecessary. And and I'm glad that parents are flexing their muscle, but this is one of those, I feel, this is one of those areas where you get the wrong parent on the wrong day, too much coffee, not enough coffee, whatever it was, and it's going to go well beyond flexing a lawsuit, right? They might flex their real muscles because people take yeah. their children very seriously. So I want to continue this conversation because there's some stats in here that you put out here about a nearly five-fold increase in gender transition surgeries, and I want to talk about that, and that's in just three years we've seen that increase. So, folks, uh, keep it locked right here. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we're on with Sarah Partial Perry, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And again, uh, at the top of the next hour, it is Open Phone America in uh, the tradition of Jim Bohannon and Larry King. We will open up those phone lines, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let your voice be heard. Now, right now, we're discussing uh, parental rights and secret gender transitions that are being... um, facilitated in many cases by teachers. Our guest is Sarah Partial Perry, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And um, in the, the minute or two that we have, or two minutes that we have remaining, let's, uh, let's I guess, put a pin in your story and, and give us uh, the, the final word on, you know, where we go from here. You know, that's a great question. I think the key here is diligence. And it's clear that parents are making a difference they are showing up in numbers. They now know what the information is that their kids are being taught. I think that is the key here is 
sticking with it from this point forward. We have understood what our rights are. I think a lot of people have flexed their legal muscle. We've gotten a parent's bill of rights passed in the House and Congress. We've seen Doug LaMalfa introduce another bill prohibiting these secret school transition policies. I think the key is to continue to push back, remind teachers, remind the teachers' unions, remind school administrators that it is our tax dollars that pay their salaries and it's our kids that are being taught in their classrooms. And I think the key to making sure our kids are ready for the next generation is understanding that it's our responsibility to train them up and teach them those values that will make them solid and forthright in the classroom no matter what nonsense they encounter. Yeah, and let me just remind everybody, uh, the name of your piece is Parents here, let me just scroll up a little bit. Parents are fed up with public schools secretly transitioning their children. Uh, It's from this week by Sarah Partial Perry in the Washington Examiner. I recommend you taking a look at it. I will share it on Twitter so that everybody could see it. And uh, I really, um, I want you to read it and I want you to share it because I think this information is important. It's a conversation that we need to A, be having and B, need to be, uh, remain aware of and cognizant of because it's, it's an evolving one. And like I said, just, I don't know, 12 hours ago, they, uh, they just signed another state signed, a, a package of laws into effect where they're going to block transgender surgeries and hormone replacement and puberty blockers. So I think that's critical. It's a, it's a, it's a good next step. Anyway, the music means I've got to go. So Sarah Partial Perry, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate the insight and I hope you could come back soon. Thanks for having me, Rich. You bet. All right. All the best. All right. Straight ahead. It's Open Phone America. Your voices get to be heard coast to coast, nationwide, live and national. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez, America at Night. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Some of you guys know me as your liberty-loving Latino amigo. I host a program called This Is America. It's a podcast, uh, comes out weekly. Lately, it's been coming out uh, bi-weekly, which is not good, (laughs) but we will have a brand new episode coming this week. I promise that. And I also am the host of this show. If you're just tuning in, welcome to the program. Uh, You can always check out any guest that you've missed on this program at our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Richvaldezamericaatnight.com is where you can listen live. You can share that with a friend who may want to listen live. You can listen to previous episodes right there from the webpage, or you could just click on the link and subscribe and download the podcast. So this way you get... um, notifications whenever there's a new episode and you can listen to it on demand at your pace at your leisure now i want to get into a bunch of things that we um 
Uh, I want to elaborate on what we've discussed in hours number one and number two of this program. And, of course, I want to invite you guys to join the national conversation in open phones across America where we uh, touch base with you guys straight across the country and get your take on everything. And the phone number for that is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And I'm on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, if you want to uh, join the conversation that way. Because it's your turn, right? This is your turn to be heard, and I want you to be heard. Now, I want to just recap a little bit of what we've discussed this evening, because we've talked about a lot of interesting things. And uh, we started off the evening with a former assistant district attorney in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Uh, This is the office currently occupied by Alvin Bragg, who has indicted former President Trump on a a very flimsy charge. Uh, Again, people, you've got prominent Democrats that are saying this indictment shouldn't have come forward. You've got prominent Republicans saying it. So I think we can either say it's a nonpartisan issue or a bipartisan issue where people are not in support of this, but it did happen. And it's so flimsy that some are saying they may not even get uh, a conviction. Others are saying in with an audience and a jury in New York City, they're likely going to get whatever they want because there's a good sentiment uh, of a good anti-Trump sentiment that's um, permeating the uh, the neighborhood. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But again, uh, former President Trump. Uh, indicted today, making history as the very first former president to be criminally charged uh, while he's running for president. And it's my opinion that the Democrats are using the law to play politics by indicting their biggest competitor, Donald Trump. And uh, I feel like if they played fair and they didn't use the law to try to get him out of the picture, they might not be able to get him out of the picture. But we will see. Uh, We also had some discussions on Iran We also had some discussions on the biggest um, trend that we see across the country, which, in my opinion, is how the trans movement just continues to to grow. And uh, this is an interesting one because with with this growth, right, there's – there are teachers that are concealing the, tra- the gender transition of children. There are teachers that are helping to facilitate the gender transition of women and, and uh, or children, I should say. And then you also have um, people that are taking the, the, the system to task, right? So, for example, in Canada, there's a male powerlifter who entered a women's powerlifting event and broke the records. Right, this bearded pro powerlifter entered a women's competition in Canada and smashed a record held by a trans lifer who was watching. Avi Silverberg, the head coach for Team Canada Powerlifting, he's been there for more than 10 years. He entered Saturday's Heroes Classic tournament in Lethbridge, Alberta, after identifying as a female. Now, video that was shared by the athlete and activist group, uh, the Independent Council on Women's Sports, or ICONS, shows him walking up to the platform, still fully bearded and wearing a regular man's singlet. He then casually bench-pressed nearly 370 pounds, beating the current Alberta women's record by almost 100 pounds. That record, 275 pounds, was held by trans athlete Ann Anders, or excuse me, Ann Andres, who uh, was seen watching Silverberg while volunteering at the event. So 
Andres also holds the Alberta women's record for the deadlift at 544 pounds, giving her the local record for the total of all three lifts, lifting a combined 1,245 pounds. The trans lifer won eight of nine competitions entered in the women's category over the last four years, according to icons. So uh, Silverberg broke her record. And Andre stood off to the edge of the platform area, only uh, strolling back after the male lifter uh, walked off the uh, the platform there. So according to this group, Icons, Silverberg mocked the discriminatory policy, right, which is uh, the Canadian Powerlifting Union's policy, that allows competitors to register for events under their gender identity and expression rather than their sex or gender vowing no consequences for doing so. So the Canadian Powerlifting Union's trans policy states that an individual, quote, should be able to participate in the gender with which they identify and not be subject to the requirements for disclosure of personal information beyond those required of uh, cisgender athletes. Look at that. It also states, nor should there be any requirement for hormonal therapy or surgery. However, the union's competition registration policy says that a competitor's government-issued photo identification, excluding youth lifters, must be verified during the weigh-in or the equipment check, including their date of birth, province, and gender at all competitions. It's unclear if Silverberg presented a government-issued ID identifying him as a female or was required to. That that part is still unknown. <laughs> but repeated messages left for the Canadian Powerlifting Union's board of directors and their executive staff were not returned as of the writing of this article earlier on Thursday. So I just think that this the irony here is incredibly rich. There's a picture of the, uh, the very upset trans athlete. Uh, it's a biological male that identifies as a woman that is currently the champ in this league. And uh, uh, another biological male that I believe identifies as a biological male, but that day did not identify as a biological male, went in there and crushed the category to make the point that this is exactly uh, uh, how ridiculous it is and used the irony to make and prove his point. So I thought that was really rich, and I thought it was pretty funny. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Plus, I also want you to... Uh, just listen to a headline, AOC, she's running away from somebody. Uh, what's she running from and who's she running from? Well, we're going to get to that straight ahead. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. gendered all day every single interaction conversation everything just misgendered from the beginning day to now i'm just 
sick of it. I'm sick of correcting people who won't listen. I'm, and I'm sick of people not seeing me. I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it. And then I'm like, oh, well, if I went on team, this would never happen. But I want to go on team. I just want people to believe that trans people exist. And to look at me and think for a split second, like, oh, maybe they don't want to be called a lady. All right, that is a video uh, that was on the um, Instagram or Twitter account, and it's on all of the social media, the Libs of TikTok. And uh, Libs of TikTok has great uh, footage that they they put out there, lots of great uh, clips, and that was one of them. And speaking of the Libs of TikTok, I I wanted to uh, bring that up because uh, uh, Chaya Rechik, she is the founder of Libs of TikTok. She's actually been on this program, and uh, she's a, a, a concerned uh, citizen activist that said, you know what, this is too much of this and we're going to, you know, get to the bottom of it. And she's been putting out these videos just kind of exposing uh, what is going on in the community and uh, excellent work. But she um, had an encounter with my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also known as AOC, all out crazy. And Congresswoman AOC, all out crazy, she, um, she, she stops to pause for a picture with this woman, and then she tells her, hey, by the way, um, you, you lied about me in a committee hearing, and I'm here to serve you with an ethics complaint. And then AOC says, oh, so I actually don't want to share a space with you because you're super transphobic, and I have to go. And then she runs away from her, and this video's out there in the New York Post. I will uh, put that out there on social media so you could see it. But first, I want you to hear a clip of the audio. Listen to this. So you're super transphobic and I never want to share a space with you. Thank you. Uh, Talk about welcoming debate, right? Here I am. I sound like a broken record, you know, saying, hey, look, if you disagree, you can call in 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, and I take those calls and we have those conversations and I listen to, to what everybody has to say. But good old AOC, she likes to run away. She ran away from the founder of Libs of TikTok uh, Chaya Reshik, and uh, she also ran away from me. And uh, I guess when we get closer, it, it was in June of 2019, so it's been a few years. But um, I, I like to bring it up every June as like the anniversary of AOC running away. And then subsequently, her team then tweeted out the f bomb to me on Twitter, and the New York Post got a screen grab of it, and they published a story. And I think at the times, the Washington Times did it uh, as well. And uh, it was just quite the thing. And then that guy who was her spokesperson, eventually um, he um, he quit and went to do something else uh, because he got in trouble for some other stuff. So interesting story about AOC and how she likes to run away. But that was the um, the encounter today in Capitol Hill. And uh, Rashik posted the video that was filmed by the Heritage Foundation. And that so it's both on the Heritage Foundation uh, account and uh, the Libs of TikTok account, it seems. And... And that was her running away. It's also on the um, 
It's also on Twitter, and uh, I will uh, tweet this out again so you guys could see it. But Libs of TikTok breaking. I served AOC with an ethics complaint after she lied about me in a committee hearing. AOC wasn't in her office, but then I bumped into her as I was leaving the Capitol. Watch what happens. It's it's terrific. Really good video. It's it's good to see people in action. I, some people might think this is uh, not important. I think this is incredibly important. Because if you don't hold these people accountable, they'll just keep telling their lies and telling their lies and making things up. And and this is why I think it's so important to to have these conversations. Because ultimately, if you don't have these conversations and and uh, call people out and you know um, to the carpet, they'll keep doing it. They'll keep doing it and they'll think that it's okay. And 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 this is what we're seeing in, in foreign affairs as well. If they continue to provoke the United States and the United States continues to take a very passive approach, uh, which just shows weakness, then guess what? That's exactly how we're going to be seen as weak, and they will continue to push and push and push until they get what they want. Anyway, let us um, go to the phones. Let's go to Iowa, KMA, Council Bluffs. Let's go to Ron. Ron, hi. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, yeah, good evening, uh, Rich. Uh, you know, I I have been following this uh, shooting down in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. which I know we're just going to have more of them. And what I can understand is why the Republicans keep blocking background checks. Well, which Republicans are you talking about, Ron? The shooting in uh, Memphis. Which Republicans are blocking background checks? The re- whole Republican. Give me one name, sir, and then give me two. Uh, well, let's see. We yeah. would uh, have your majority leader. Uh, That's never happened. He's then, a California Republican. Most of his colleagues call him a rhino. And uh, he's he's never blocked background checks because the reality is you can't buy a gun without a background check. That's just real. Right. Um, I, at least I know I can't. In New Jersey, you have to go through, uh, I think it's called NICS, which is an FBI background system. You can't go to a gun show and buy it. So, I mean, all, all of this stuff about not having background checks, again, from my perspective here uh, in New Jersey and New York, can't happen. Now, I don't know if, if a Tennessee resident can just go to a store and buy a gun without a background check. I'm going to go off the deep end and say I very much doubt that they can't because it's it's incredibly difficult to do that. This is not a, a relatively new thing, right? These things have been around for a while. So what 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 people conflate is that there are people saying, you know, in some states, they want to implement red flag laws, which is very different. And this is where, you know, the, the authorities can, based on whatever their their estimation of a situation is, they can go and say, hey, I want to take your gun away from you. But the ability to just go and buy a gun, uh, and again, you know, I'll ask my team in the studio to quickly Google that if you could buy a gun in Tennessee without, without a background check. <clears throat> I don't think that's the case. But the, the bottom line is, there is um, there isn't any any blocking of federal legislation on on background checks. These are talking points that you'll hear from people that want increased gun control. And and again, this is, I think, part of the problem when you have a situation where something unfortunate happens, whether it's a shooting in, a, in, a, in, in any circumstance, whether it's a school or anywhere else, you have some sort of an unfortunate event and then they they hone in. They never focus on the fact that there was a person that pulled the trigger and wanted to murder people, including little kids and innocent people, right? They, they don't, they don't uh, ever put the onus on the person. 
they always put it on the gun. Somehow that if the gun wasn't, if the gun didn't exist, then we wouldn't have this problem, right? So all of a sudden there, there was no murder, right? There's no Cain and Abel. There's never a history of murder. Th- these are just uh, crazy things. And yes, of course you do need a background check in Tennessee. I'm hearing in my ear from our producers. So, you know, I, I'm not um, debating you here. I'm just trying to give you some perspective so that you can realize that you can't listen to what they're saying and, and, you know, and get all worked up and in your feelings and say things like, you know, if these Republicans would just stop the, 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 the blocking background checks, then maybe these kids would be alive. That's a damn lie. That's, it's just not true. It's political rhetoric at its best. They're trying to fool you. It looks like they did. And, 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 and you're probably not the only one. There's a lot of people that are swayed by this rhetoric. And it's so unfortunate because ultimately when you had this bad guy with the gun, it was the good guys with the guns that stopped the bad guy with the gun. And, and, and as long as I, as long as there's breath in my lungs, like Charlton Heston said, right from my cold dead hands, there's no way anyone will ever convince me that I should get rid of and not have any protection for myself but allow bad people to illegally obtain firearms so they could come and rob me, hurt me, or otherwise do whatever they want because they're the only ones that have the gun because they know you don't. And that's always the case in New York, New Jersey, Washington, Chicago, everywhere where you see these, these crimes are off the hook and off the charts. So sadly, that stuff isn't true. But I appreciate the call and the conversation. Big shout out to KMA, Council Bluffs, Iowa, and my buddy Ron. More to come straight ahead. Your calls are coming in. We're going to get to those right after this. 833-4-VALDEZ. I am Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Welcome back. Uh, continuing with our journey across the country, let's go to Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Let's check in with Jeff. Hey, Jeff, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, hey, Rich. That's uh, Rich Valdez with an F. If, that is correct. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Go right ahead, Jeff, with uh, yeah, two Fs. I, I, I'm, I'm so tired of the, uh, 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 the phrase assault weapon. Because it means absolutely nothing. I mean, literally, uh, if 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 I stab you, uh, <laughs> not you personally. If I were in a restaurant somewhere and I stabbed somebody with a fork, isn't that an assault? It's an assault fork, sir. Yes, that's an assault fork. Now, I I I have a pellet gun. If I shoot somebody with, let's say, in the kneecap with that pellet gun, that becomes an assault with a weapon, correct? Sounds right so far. Okay. So my point is the, the, the whole phrase of assault weapon means nothing. If, 
if if someone uh, uh, assaults somebody with a hammer, that is an assault weapon. 100% right, Jeff. You know, one of the things I think that comes to mind here is the power of language when you're using rhetoric, right? And, and uh, it reminds me of an exercise I had in college once. The, the professor, uh, he asked us to raise our hand based on certain issues, right? So he was like, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, I think the, what they used was abortion. He was like, you know, are you for or against, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody that was like pro-life, um, he made them take the opposite position on a different issue, but uh, a, a similar issue. And, and we had to argue against our our honest belief. And, and it was interesting because you start to see how language is, is used. And in my opinion, it's oftentimes perverted by an opposing viewpoint, not just to oppose it. I, I don't change words around to make my point more effective. I may use words differently, but like you said, there's the creation of words, right? So for, for example, in the last hour, we talked about uh, the sex change surgeries and sex change surgeries have been around forever, right? In my entire lifetime. And they've always been called sex change surgeries. Um, then there was a, a push to, to call them sex reassignment surgeries. Then they became gender reassignment surgeries. And now it's called gender affirming care, which is in the last five minutes, that's the new name for it. And again, they changed the language to soften the blow. And they do the same thing with these guns, right? So they make it sound like, you know, here's a firearm and they want to call it a weapon instead of a firearm. And then they want to call it an assault weapon or an assault rifle or assault styled rifle. And it's all to create this boogeyman, this, this just negative connotation on whatever it is they want to put it on. And, and it's so misguided and, you know, kudos to the Associated Press who called out accurately in their style guide that using this in journalism is considered political, right? It's a politicized word or phrase to say that it's an assault weapon or assault rifle. And, uh, and, and that's accurate. Nobody should be using these terms because they're not accurate, right? It, it's accurate to say it's wrong. And I, I think you bring up an excellent point, Jeff, with two Fs, because this is something that people hear and then they think, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Why do you need an assault? Why do you need a weapon of war? What do you need a weapon of war for? And I can tell you, uh, my my whole reason for supporting the Second Amendment is so that it won't be infringed. And the only people that ever want to infringe, let me tell you, I've never met a neighbor or a, another person that said, hey, I, I want to infringe on your right. It's always going to be the government. It's always going to be someone that has more guns than you. And that's always going to be the government. So the way, you know, the reason that the founders and all of their brilliance and, and, uh, and prescience uh, put that in there was so that, you know, along with the Quartering Act and all that stuff, was to make sure that, no, that the, the British, the Redcoats were never going to take up residence in our homes again and, and do that type of thing where a government would be, you know, we'd have a two-way conversation here not a one-way conversation like uh, King George did. So, yeah, I think uh, you're 100% right. I'm also tired of hearing that word. I'm tired of hearing all the rhetoric on guns. Uh, it, it, this, you know, this doesn't happen in other countries. This is a uniquely American problem, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. This is not to say that I don't care. This is not to say that I'm trivializing the, the, the plight that these families are going through or that I, you know, I, I, my heart breaks for those children. But the fact that we have a Second Amendment is not the reason that people murder people. 
People murder people because people are bad. Whether you have a Second Amendment or not, there's murder. And to try and make it uh, anything else other than that, I think, is is disingenuous. I get it. Some people want to go down that road and say, but, you know, they're not shooting up schools in other countries. They're not doing this. Not. There's a lot of things they're not doing. You know what else they're, they're not doing? They're not saying that boys are girls and girls are boys. We have a lot of uniquely American problems here. Not everybody's 50, 60, 100 pounds overweight in a lot of other countries either. That's also a rather uniquely American problem. So I, I get it. There's a lot of things in America that we do a little differently. Uh, but it doesn't mean that that's the reason, right? <laughs> we, we, we don't have school shootings because we have a Second Amendment. We have school shootings because we have crazy people that want to go into a school and shoot people. That's a problem, and that's what we need to address. All right, Jeff, thank you for your call. I appreciate that. Um, let us see here. Where do we go from here? We go to... South Haven, Mississippi, WKIM, listening from Memphis. Jonathan, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. It's good. It's good to call in. I've been listening for months and months, usually while I'm at work. Thank you. It's good Uh, to hear your voice. I'm glad you joined the program. Yeah. So I was uh, calling just to, uh, I was listening and hearing her earlier trying to blame violent video games. Video games are may have some violence to it, but it's no worse than uh, what you can see on a movie. And that, it, that has zero effect on it. There's been school shootings and shootings going back 50-plus years before even violent entertainment. You can't blame it, a form of entertainment for the violence of what people do. People are going to act crazy. People are going to do crazy things. That's how people are. Listen, I'm with you. I I do believe that you have to be judicious as a parent and watch what your kids listen to because you don't want them, uh, you know, around something that is going to desensitize them one way or another. Uh, But, you know, everything at the parent's discretion. Uh, But that being said, I would never say because you let your kid play violent video games or because you let your kid listen to rap music that talks about shooting X, Y, and Z that all of a sudden they're going to go shoot X, Y, and Z. Uh, I realize that kids are somewhat suggestible at times, but I grew up listening to, you know, lots of uh, gangster rap and this and that and, and, you know, a lot of politically motivated rap and my politics are nothing like the stuff I grew up listening to. It didn't have a – it influenced me to – to not believe it, if anything, you know, if, if, if I'm telling the truth. So my, my point is, yeah, I agree with you. You know, we, we as people have to have responsibility for our agency. Now, I think we do have limits on things. Like, for example, like the guy, there was a guy in Jersey about six, seven, eight, ten, maybe it was 10 years ago, who wanted to um, watch porn at a public library, saying it was his First Amendment right. That was his speech uh, that he wanted to watch porn. And uh, the Supreme Court heard the case after it went through every every level of federal court from there on. And uh, they said, no, you don't have a protected right to watch porn. You just don't have it. And and this is a uh, an interesting point. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. You you there are limits on this stuff. But at the same time, we're not going to blame every last thing on a video game or a song or anything else. We have to blame people for what they do. Yeah, that, yeah, that was all I was calling about. 
<laughs> well, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Hope to hear from you again soon. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. In Philadelphia, a political consultant has pled guilty to forging signatures for petitions to get Democrats elected. <laughs> you would think that this would be called election fraud, as we know that doesn't exist. Rasheen Cruz forged signatures to get his clients onto a 2019 primary ballot. Listen to this. So this Philadelphia political consultant uh, did all of this, and he got charged by the attorney general's office. He's 46 years old. He's going to be sentenced on June 29th. And Mr. Cruz served as a political consultant during the May 2019 primary, where he worked with several uh, Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas and uh, Municipal Court candidates. He was hired to collect the signatures needed to complete the paperwork needed so that you could get on the Democrat ballot that year. Cruz was paid per signature and collected uh, per, for every signature he collected, excuse me, according to the affidavit. And he either forged or hired others to forge signatures by renting out hotel rooms where workers would copy down names and addresses onto the petition paperwork, according to the complaint. So this was an organized operation. Now, the Office of the Attorney General began investigating Cruz back in 2019 through... Uh, even though several candidates remained on the ballot that year, others dropped out of the race once the allegations were made. Because obviously, they you know, they're like, you cheated to get on the ballot. Hello, sir. But, you know, they decided to go ahead and do their thing. Now, if you guys remember the movie American Hustle, that's a true story, by the way, um, with, with the um, congressman from Philadelphia. And I'm forgetting his name. I think it's Ozzy something. Congressman American Hustle. Anybody, help me out here. Nobody. Nobody. All right. Anyway, the um, the movie f focuses on the story about ab scam and that same congressman who I'm totally forgetting his name right now. Uh, he 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 got caught in uh, in, in, in doing this same thing. Right. And it's not Ozzy, whatever. It's Michael Ozzy Myers. Ozzy Myers uh, was a Philadelphia congressman who got caught in that movie, American Hustle in real life. He's the real-life ab scam guy. And he got caught again doing this same scam of the petition, uh, the ballot fraud, to get judges elected in Philadelphia. And that just happened a year and a half ago. So um, for anybody thinking that election fraud is not a thing, it's alive and kicking. Let us go to Washington, Pennsylvania, and check in with James. Hey, James, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, how are you? Super. This is Practical Nurse Package, and I think that right-wing men, are they don't even have a callus on their hands. They're sissies, 
and you and you're you're fat. You're Hold on a second. Hold on. A second. Did I ever get in a fist fight and and do what? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, I have, and uh, I don't make it a habit. But yeah, those are our critics. And um, when you get out of hand, I guess sometimes they they bail out quickly. I was looking forward to speaking with him, um, but he says I'm a sissy. Maybe one day I'll get to buy him a beer. Maybe we'll be at the same bar. Let's continue. Let's go to Pennsylvania again. Let's check in with Sue. Sue, go right ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. You know, that that was kind of funny. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Isn't it great? They start off strong and they always fizzle out. Yeah, you can always tell. Well, anyway, so, you know, what I'm calling about, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. I was born in 1950, so even well into my teens, back in those days, we had what are called transsexuals, like Christine Jorgensen, who was allegedly the first, uh, you know, surgical, you know, uh, switcheroo in 1952. We had transsexuals who did the surgery, and we had transvestites that just dressed up like women and stuff. Now, right. somehow or other, we have this, this big bucket of transgenderism, which is, I think, purposely nonspecific. And so oh, yeah. it's obviously very, it's very confusing to people. And for a reason, I, you know, there are people that I'm sure are very tortured uh, souls and they go through the surgery and all that. I was just reading the other day that uh, most of the people who identify as transgender these days do not go through with the surgery. And so it makes you think it's just, maladaptive posturing, you know, and uh, mm. it seems to be the hip thing now. Uh, you know, now it's suddenly it's you have Joe Biden uh, saying transgenders are, what was it, the soul of the nation or something? I was <laughs> like, I, I was just dying, like, I couldn't believe it. And plus, you know, these younger people, they're finding also that an awful lot of them who have this transgender ideation or whatever you want to call it, have autism. And so for people to allow children to have surgery before they even have their issues, uh, you know, dealt with, is, is it's insane. I mean, so mm-hmm. I don't know why we have to have this transgender. It's just it's this mixed bag of, of vagueness, you know, and it's, it's making things really crazy, I think. Thank you, know, you the Sue. The old terminology, I... we, oh, we knew who was who. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and, and I appreciate it. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's very confusing, and it, instead of helping people sort out the confusion, we're confusing everyone else in the process. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. Uh, we're going to go to Brooklyn. we got Alex listening in right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's open phones across America. And uh, we go to our buddy Alex listening to WFAS online, Brooklyn, New York. Alex, go right ahead. 
Hey, Rich, thanks so much for taking the call. Uh, You know, last week I spoke to you about this indictment of Trump, and I was pretty convinced that it wasn't going to happen because the jury, they're Democrats, but they're not bad people. They just happen to be Democratic voters that are convinced that Trump is a bad person. And I thought after sitting through the trial and all that they've seen and the weak witness testimonies, they were going to be convinced that it's all fake and phony stuff being thrown at Trump. But apparently, once the Democrat, always the Democrats, because you're brainwashed to a point where there's no way to convince you otherwise, because they should have been convinced. And in the case of Alvin Bragg, he is a corrupt, despicable person, as well as, you know, the Democratic politicians. And you have the judge who's a corrupt uh, judge. What there are two things they're trying to do. I think, number one, they want to get Trump to become the Republican nominee of the party. And by doing this, they're giving him more momentum and he's going to have more support from the Republican Party. He's going to become the nominee. And they think that because the Democratic voters hate Trump so much, he is the weakest candidate for the Republicans to have in the general election. And the other thing they're doing is um, it's what they did in 2020. They committed fraud in the election um, because Trump was starting up with the establishment and they were trying to ruin his political career. And so not only for him, but to show people across the country and politics. You started with the establishment. We're going to go after your political career. But now this is even way worse because they're saying not only are we going to throw dirt at you and try to ruin your political career and commit fraud during the election. But if you start up with the establishment, we're going to put you behind bars. And so I think it's going Mm. to hurt us really badly, even worse, because you have politicians who say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my political career to do what's right. But what about the politicians that say, hey, I don't want to go to prison. What about the people that say, hey, I'm willing to give up my political right. career and, you know, all this stuff, but I don't want to sit and rot in jail. Nobody wants to go to jail. And, and you know, the, the problem here is that they've gone off the deep end, Alex, where they've decided to use the law to play politics and go after their biggest enemy, political enemy, in in Trump. And this is going to backfire on them one, one way or another, whether it's in this election or in the future, when they get prosecuted for something silly. And uh, they, they just should never have gone there. You know, don't start none and there won't be none, is what they say. Anyway, thanks for your call, brother. Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez. Let's do it again tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.